0: Log Talk Radio. Africa. the Africa. Africa. At the center of the world. Latitude zero, longitude zero. Planned by the Creator. Sizanthropus was the first man found on the Earth. That Earth.
2: So, so vast, so great, the African
3: away the the color of life. Universal Harmony. The Earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human beings. Human love. On a spiritual tip. So vast. So great. The African embrace. Live beyond. Love beyond. Your skin to where you belong.
2: go and it wasn't a show. We gave birth to a style like a precocious child, feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade, creating language to persuade, share who we've always been, always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop, and we don't stop. Our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walks off. Cause we're hip to the world. So we create black pearls. That everyone can wear. That everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on.
4: That's right. We go on and on, on and on, until victory. Welcome to Africa on Move. As your host, Brother Africa, it's always an honor and a privilege to come into your home this evening, where we can speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. That's right. We're going to be in the seat and we're going to take the heat as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. We just a bunch of little, nobody's trying to be somebody. And we want you to come and join in with us today as we deal with a special topic titled Obstacles of Liberation and Health with Dr. Sister Sheila Brown JD. Yes, yeah, she's an author, she's an educator, she's a writer, she's a creator, and she's an inventor. And we're going to have her on this program today, where she will also speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. And we want you to come and join in with us by dialing 323-679-0841. Before we bring on our guest today and talk about our theme today,
0: Obstacles
4: of Liberation of Health, we would like to always introduce our political panelists and analysts, for today's program. So you know how we get started with our party. We first gonna bring in our brother Haki and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the move. Welcome Brother Haki.
5: Uh Brother Africa, uh thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamar from and currently I'm with African Awareness. And of course my thing is all about institution building. Uh but because we got a special guest tonight I wanna to defer any type of uh long uh, uh, commentary with respect to what's going on in the world and I'd like to simply say to the panelists you know let's have a good show and uh, let's uh, absorb the knowledge this Sister's going to uh, impart to us today thank you
4: right. thank you brother Haki following brother Haki we have with us brother Moses we'd like to bring him in and welcome brother Moses to Africa on the move welcome brother Moses
2: Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists and the guests. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during the government class back in my high school years, in 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao tongue, is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe women hold up half the sky. That's why I'm for the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, yes. And I, I look forward to a wonderful meeting with the guests. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And
4: finally, Brother Moses, We bring in our sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Move.
3: Good evening, Brother Africa, fellow panelists, and to our guests and listening audiences in the United States and abroad. Um, I, Eleanor Johnson, I'm an artist and an educator, also an environmentalist. Very much interested in the activities of the last week and the liberation of the working class. Look forward to a great show this evening, and thank you so much for allowing my participation, Brother Africa. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor.
4: And at this particular time, to our listening audience, we will now introduce and bring in our special guest today. Her name is Dr. Sheila Brown, J.D. She's the author of a book titled The Divine Self-Care Strategy. The so sister is a – she has many disciplines. And what we're going to do is that we share who she is, we're going to let her do that. Right now, we're going to bring in Sister Brown. We can call her – Sister Brown, you know, she is very humble, and she referred not to necessarily push this concept of um, being a doctor, even though she deserved her right, but in terms of her respect and how humble she is, for today's show, we just going to call her Sister Brown. So right now, we're going to bring in our sister, and we'd like to welcome her to Africa on the move. Welcome, my sister.
6: Peace and blessings family. It's so good to be here with you among your esteemed panelists. I am so humbled and so excited about our call tonight and learning from you all as much as I pray I can share some insights on the powerful work that our ancestors have laid before us today that will literally transform what we think we know about these amazing historic icons and what will hopefully inspire us to motivate our youth to take a different look, to take a new look at what has been done and what caused it to be successful so that they can utilize some of the same resources that are equally available to them in their efforts to secure freedom and health when we are long gone. Okay, my sister, I
4: heard you stated earlier in one of your previous interviews, listening to the media, you stated that you are a community activist and a healer. Can you discuss the commonality between those two dynamics, being a community activist and a healer?
6: Yeah, um, well, the the healer part relates to the community activism because those two seem to be inextricable to me. Um, what I hope to do and what I hope my legacy will be um, when I have completed the assignment that the creator has given me is that the world will agree that community activism should be rooted in both health and freedom. And so the message that I have um, relates to connecting what has already been done to what must be done in the name of freedom and the continuation of our amazing legacy as African healers and as the descendants of medicinal wellness, practices that were rooted in nature, that were rooted in the creator the most time, and that have been operating in the unseen to help protect our people from some of the most egregious acts against humanity. And so the community aspect of it has been for me in the form of um, perpetuating these teachings in small and large venues whenever I'm presented and also in recognizing that I'm a small voice with little recognition in terms of what I can contribute and so I recognize that instead of me focusing on building my personal empire um, based off of me protecting my trade secrets and you know cultivating a, a, a line of line of wealth that could be achieved Um, If I did a little spa or, you know, just focused on a few clientele who are high profile, but that the assignment would be missed. And the assignment is to share what was passed along to me through my grand matriarch and her great grand matriarch or who is my great grandmother and her great grandmother, which are serving as, for me, the foundation upon which I was able to Established myself as a healer, continuing what was shared through them via oral tradition and story since the time I was five years old, listening to my grandmother Betty tell me about genealogy, tell me about injuries that were overcome, telling me about obstacles to spiritual health in the form of roots that were overcome, and telling me what I need to do to actually take care of my body, simple things, but were very meaningful and things that I think should be known and perpetuated so that we can pay attention to what the elders have always been telling us, what they've always been doing to us in our bodies to procure health and to prevent disease, but also show how those things were connected always invisibly, powerfully, and in the unseen to our liberation movement. And I believe that when that has been revealed, that there will be a renewed sense of respect and admiration for the people that we have kind of grown to be bored of, if you talk to the youth, or people that we have grown to at least think that we have a full understanding of people like Mother Harriet Tubman, for example, who was a master transphysicist, which is a term that we're going to discuss today, who was a master at healing, who had an encyclopedic knowledge of herbs and plants, who was a survivalist in today's terms, because she had the amazing privilege of being a highly educated woman, although she was deprived of an education in the sense that she was um, prevented by law from reading and learning her her numbers and her letters, as our ancestors used to say, but who had a profound intellect that enabled her not only to heal people during the Civil War of what was known as swamp disease, which was probably something that was the equivalent of the monkeypox today, but which terrified the doctors and swept through both the Confederate and Union armies in numbers that were taking out those soldiers left and right. Well, they called it swamp disease because all they knew was that it originated near the swamp. Well, Mother Harriet Tubman knew something too, and she knew that if it originated near the swamp, then the source of the cure also originated near the swamp. And so she took her intuitive guidance as the descendant of an amazing African grandmother who is an inherited um, medicinal woman in her own right. Mom, I believe her name was Mama Grace or Mercy. I have to go back because this is information that I just gleaned from her great, great, great nieces, but it just blew my mind that we actually know who the grandmother of Mother Harriet Tubman is by name. And so what Sarah Bradford, the woman who was entrusted with writing the biography from Mother Harriet Tubman, the woman who had insights about Mother Harriet Tubman from years of conversations with her intimately, um, who also revealed that some of the things that Mother Harriet told her were so incredulous to her mind and to what she believed would be our minds that she actually is excluded that information. But what we do have is more than enough to validate Mother Harriet Tubman as someone who mastered the laws of nature and who wielded the elements, the elements that I refer to as a few tools, air, fire, earth, and water, coupled with her divine intention to literally protect, persevere, and perpetuate freedom for herself and others. So this is a type of legacy that I want to help shed some light on today among some of our other ancestors and then share why it was so important for us to spend some time in the past in the spirit of Sankofa, which means to our people to go back and fetch it, to go back and claim what was and to the world that we live in today of modern technology and manufacturing and corporate tongue and corporate dynamics, what we refer to as strategic planning experts and facilitators as um, data collection and analysis. So the principles that govern us today were ancient principles rooted in African life that literally can be re- reclaimed rightfully at, by us and then more importantly used for our continued work and struggle for freedom and health. You know, Sister Brown, um,
4: can you give us a sense of when we're talking about the book that you just published and um, the name of the book, again, is The design Self-care strategy. What is the relationship between this question of African women and wellness? Um, can you just share okay. some light on that that's, that dynamic that's, for our listening audience?
6: Yeah, that yes, definitely. And that's the one question um, that so few people ask that I'm so excited to share about because you know. I love everything that our health gurus today have brought to the table of health and wellness. What I have seen them do, no matter where they are in the world, has been phenomenal. They have opened up our minds to womb wellness, to um, spiritual and and mental wellness in, in profound and beautiful ways. What I hope to achieve Today, and through this book, The Divine Self-Care Strategy, is adding another piece of that puzzle, of that powerful blanket of wellness, knowledge, and wisdom, is by bringing more awareness about, by name, the role, the strategic role, impact, and input that African women collectively have to say about wellness and health and even medicine, but that specifically, and in general, what our African people, men and women, wherever they are in the diaspora, have also contributed to the world of health and medicine, spanning the scope from inoculation and immunity that we know um, we now identify with as vaccinations, all the way over to the therapeutic modalities of healing that we also very frequently attribute to Eastern Indian and Eastern Asian traditions that I discovered were actually rooted in African women. This is what excites me because I'm working in a space that has, largely been attributed to hinduism to the yoga tradition beautiful beautiful culture Nothing against them. Amazing people. They have contributed so much to the world of health and wellness. Don't get me wrong. I love some Bollywood movies and everything. But what kept my spirit a little bit discontented, King, was the fact that I know that black women have been giving birth to babies longer than anybody else in the world. And inherent with that responsibility, obvious, obviously, came with the inherent or the accumulated knowledge of how to preserve that life, how to prevent disease in that life and how to address it appropriately when it did arise. And so if my theory was correct, then that meant wound strategies, wound wellness must have been addressed among those women who not only had to contend with injuries from vaginal trauma, do and I'm using trauma in the medical sense, not in the in the emotional sense. I'm saying medical trauma, referring to injuries, and referring to cuts and referring to bruises and tears that African women have to have had some mechanisms for dealing with those. And I also know that they might not have been using the same terminology that we use today, but they were all, no matter whether they were in Ethiopia or in South Africa or in regions East or West, they all had access to the same four elements of air, fire, earth, and water. And so I was set along a journey that I didn't realize I was being put on by being introduced to this world of yoni steaming. Yoni being, and if you don't mind my saying, the Hindu term that sometimes is very arrogantly hosted or held up as the most sacred word for the woman's vagina. Now, you know, as a Pan-Africanist, something doesn't settle in my soul about that claim, right? So I was like, hmm there was a little bit of resistance there because although I could see the power of using steam and combining that with herbs and combining that with um, the power of water to provide healing there was something that just wasn't sitting right in my soul that African women haven't been doing something similar or even greater and that's where my journey began and ironically as I started to unfold and share with my coworkers, sisters from Africa, sisters from the Caribbean, sisters from the the, the um, South Americas, about my work as a now womb wellness practitioner, I was having some amazing responses. Sisters from Nigeria telling me, "What do you know about vaginal seeding?" And I'm like, "Huh? What do you mean? You know about that?" Our people have been doing that for generations. You know, I almost got in a fight with my mother-in-law because she tried to throw that stuff on me. And I'm like, wait a minute, African women do vaginal steaming? So my quest began for questions and answers. And when I tell you, King, I was running in and out of African establishments, sometimes completely deflated because I couldn't get responses. I wasn't being taken seriously. But I was so driven because I knew That these sisters had something, even if they didn't acknowledge it as significant anymore, even if it was not something that they considered a priority to wellness, I knew they were the key to something great. And the culmination of all those efforts came in Chapter six. In seven and eight of my book, where I had some of the most amazing, powerful conversations with Ethiopian women about the healing traditions that go back to Queen Makeda, or who we know as Queen of sheba of ancient ethiopia and this particular group of sisters out of ethiopia who have heralded this tradition of vaginal wellness through smoking the womb after pregnancy smoking the womb after major transitions and taking the daughters through a rites of passage that enabled them the women of wolo the women oh my gosh just incredible insights that I was finally able to get by simply being persistent and saying to the sisters, I'm with you. I know you have something to offer. And if you open your heart to sharing with me, I promise you, I will honor you through this book. And so what I'm so pleased to say is that what my grandmother was so obsessed about, what she was trying to instill in me about taking care of my head, my womb, and my feet, what um, the ancestors were doing around the four elements, it all came culminating into a rapid head when I started getting answers from my Ethiopian sisters and from my Nigerian sisters. And the beautiful thing is since the book has been written, the knowledge is still pouring in. And so I know I'm going on, but what I want to say is that one of the purposes of this book is to honor African women for the genius that we owe them as a world, as a global body, for simply mastering the art of life and honoring them and putting them back on the top of the medicinal hierarchy and at the same time reversing this ill lie, this false narrative that black women in Africa or in the Caribbean or even here in the United States are the culprit of disease and are the neediest benef- benefactors of disease and that we are always foaming at the mouth whenever there's a new epidemic. That is the lie that needs to be reversed and I hope that my book will be instrumental in doing that as we start revealing the role that our ancestors have played in freedom and health, giving them their property do and elevating
4: them in the minds of our children. Well, Queen, we, uh, I just started down this lane Now, I was going to ask you the next question about what were some of your intentions when you decided to write this book, The Divine Self-Care Strategy? Uh, would you like to elaborate any more on other intentions that you had in mind when you wrote this book?
6: Yeah, well, you know, the intention was initially, so One of the things we talked about um, recently was what role my discipline is because I was very frustrated when I graduated from law school and I went to Georgia thinking, I'm going to start this estate planning career, right? I had just accomplished the impossible, had graduated from law school with no money as a single mom with with a child, and I had ended up in the top 25 percent of my class, got this great law clerkship, and then I came out and I literally couldn't get a job. It was 2009. Everything was for naught. And then I found myself with this load of estate planning knowledge about transferring wealth and all these ideas I had about how to incorporate that in the black community, and it just came to a halt. And then I got thrust into strategic planning, something I knew nothing about, but just, it just forced down my throat. And what I realized in retrospect was those two tools, in addition to what I had already been um, blessed with, from direct experience as a member of the Nuwapian Nation, walking hand in hand day to day in nation building for ten years with Dr. Malachi York, and coming out of that with massive bruises of the mind, body, and spirit, but also a thickened skin and an and an insight and a wisdom that couldn't have been gleaned otherwise. These three keeping coupled with my work afterwards with the NAACP as the community coordinator, coordination chair for the Georgia State Conference and the insights and the work I was able to do that, all four of these things were instrumental in something as simple titled as the Divine Self-Care Strategy, a book written from the perspective of a grandmother speaking to her future descendants and yours about connecting the chain, keeping the links between the ancient and the future and the role that we women have as the divine creative vessels that the Most High intended us to be in the timeline for doing so. So it is in a state planning document in that I was was tasked as an estate planner, to write my own estate plan and to never, and I would advise anyone listening who is in our audience today, to never leave the planet and expect people to transfer the wealth that you inherited, whether that was financial, spiritual, or wisdom, and convey that after your death. You must do that. If we don't know anything else from ancient Egypt, we should glean this one thing. The pharaohs, the great ones, they spent day and night all of their life writing their estate plan so that no one would have any doubt about what their role in history was. Well, we don't build pyramids today. Some of us don't. But what we do is we write our estate plan. Sometimes that looks like financial estate planning and sometimes that looks like spiritual and cultural estate planning. So this book is a aspect of my estate plan where I was able to see that I might not want to entrust my son with passing along all of this knowledge to his daughters because he's got a busy life and he's not a woman and you know he listens and he's probably getting it but I had a responsibility to codify the laws, the principles, and the insights gleaned so that the future, 10, 15, 19 generations from now, had a source, a guidepost to say, oh, this is where I come from. This is what I hail from. This is who I am supposed to be. And this, I'm going to contribute to this great living document of health and wellness and then if they choose to do something, otherwise, other words, that will be their decision, but not because they didn't know who they were. So I would encourage anyone who is doing this work of Pan-Africanism, of spiritual legacy, write down your work, write down your wisdom so that the future can have access to you beyond your current time here on the earth. So, my intention is passing on knowledge and insights that not only were left by our civil rights icons like dr. Martin Luther King Jr. someone you would never associate with a book about total body alignment and Self-care. What would he have to do with it? You know, one of my greatest um, regrets is not coming up with a more inclusive and epic title (laughs) because this book is as much for the divine patriarchy as it is for the divine matriarchy. In other words, there is a story in here for the men, for the fathers, and for the brothers, and for the husbands because in order for us as women to fulfill our divine purpose to create beauty in the world, We have to have resources that are provided by our men. And so oppression and slavery is nothing but a manipulation of the elements. At the core, at the fundamental principle of it, it is about deprivation of air, controlling your access to air, deprivation of water, controlling how much you access the water, whether that's on a macro scale, like the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey putting um, fleets of ships on the land, or at a micro level, where you just simply want to have clean water to brush your teeth and to quench the thirst of your baby, or earth your access to move through the land, to travel where you want to go on the continent of Africa, or to simply be able to move and acquire a little plot of land so that you can grow your own food, more earth. See, these are the simple things that make up life, and the simple deprivation of them in a a least-case scenario and in a worst-case scenario, using these for same four elements as a tool for torture, like water, boarding. You see, everything boils down to the four elements. And who controls them determines what the outcome is for life for generations. That's what we are fighting for. And so if you think you haven't experienced racism, it's simply because you're not trying to master the four elements. That's, that's what my intention is.
4: Okay, um... Sister Brown, in the process of writing this book, can you discuss with us your experiences or what was the process that you used towards writing the book and what challenges did you incur while writing this book?
6: Thank you. That's a really good question. I don't get that often, but it's important because um, one of the things that people should know is that it's nine chapters and it's not in academic written book. It's a book that's written with the spirit of oral tradition in mind. And so the first chapter, I'm stating my intentions for the book, who I'm speaking to, who I want to pick this book up, how I want them to be impacted for the book. And intention is important. I call intention the fifth element. When people don't State their intentions out loud, it's largely because they do not have your best interest at hand. And so intention is something that is in the unseen, it is spiritual. But behavior. And outcomes and consequences are the result of that, and they always provide the truth of what someone's true intentions were. And so there's a whole chapter in the book devoted to intentions that is so powerful because it's in the form of four relevant stories that reveal heart, faith, clean and unclean. Those are the key terms that I use to describe wicked intention and divine intention. And the outcomes of not understanding that are as devastating as what the Tano people experienced when they encountered a man who we know today as Christopher Columbus and as seemingly innocent as a homeless man and a woman who is Making a gesture of kindness to him by dropping a dollar and 25 cents into his cup only to discover that he was the true giver. So I use these four powerful stories to set this work to set the tone for the divine intention chapter before I delve into deep about how we have these terms of art to help us understand the nature of man. And why that's important is because what Dr. King referred to as transphysics on the night before his assassination which, by the way, is in Chapter 3, the hardest chapter. It was harder than passing the bar exam, and it was largely because although I was receiving these spiritual downloads that I believed with my whole heart from the Creator that – our weapons have always been and will, will always will be the four elements plus that fifth one of divine intention. If we can align our intention with the kingdom of light and the kingdom of the Most High, that we will see the pathway to success against our enemies. Now, I know that sounds very theoretical and Intangible and spiritual and frou frou, but it's the truth, and I can prove it. And I, I think I've done a really good job of at least laying the groundwork, you know, because there was this, this competing. Um, resource within me, one that is very creative and spiritual, that loves the oral tradition, that, you know, didn't need a lot of evidence. But then there was this analytical aspect of my work and spirit that requires evidence because I don't want to be made a fool of. I don't want people laughing at me. And so what it amounted to in the writing process was When I got to Chapter 3, The Voices of the Ancestors, and I received this insight from the Creator that said, the only thing I have ever given you, and you can bet with all your life, the only thing you ever will receive from me is the four elements, I believed it. But I couldn't prove it. And when I looked over at all these books in my bookshelf and started to think, oh, no, I'm not going through all of these books to try to find the word, water, fire, air, and earth. I'm not doing that. And so the resistance came from me in writing that chapter. Well, one day I got a divine message, and it struck me to the core because I jolted out of my bed at 3 a.m., and the message was, you're procrastinating because you think you have time. And, boy, when I tell you, That thing jolted me to the core, not because I was afraid of death, but because I was afraid of the real death, dying without fulfilling your divine purpose in life. Well, I got up and I started writing, and I did not stop writing until a year later when I had completed the book with all nine chapters intact, and I knew that when I had done, was going to have the potential for divine impact. And when I tell you, King, that the answers, simply just started rolling off the pages to the point where I would just pick up a book because I was guided to, and when I would open the book, it would land on page 44 of Nat Turner's uh, um, biography, not his biography because it was written by Thomas Gray, but when I opened that book and I read the reports that... The the Honorable Nat Turner was communicating to Thomas Array, who was interviewing him about the audacity he had to try to wage war against the white power structure, and my eyes landed on a quote from him, and that quote confirmed what Frederick Douglass, the Honorable One, and Dr. Martin Luther King, the Honorable One, and Mother Harriet Tubman, and Mother Harriet Jacobs, and the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Gavi were all saying the same thing in parable, that it would then reveal to me the knowledge of the elements, the revolution of the planets, the operation of tides, and the changes of the season. That was Nat Turner. He was the one that said, the most high revealed to him the knowledge of the elements. What elements are you talking about? Air, fire, earth and water. You there, king?
4: Yeah, i am that queen.
0: Okay.
4: <laughs> yeah, in in terms of in terms of that. You you meant to other freedom fighters had a similar a similar experience, and I thought you may go into that. You talk about Nat Turner, you talk about King, you mentioned um, Marcus Garvey. Can you just be a little more descriptive of how all of them had a shared commonality of this question and looking at the major elements of of, of the world yeah well there
6: are Two women I I want to share a little bit of insight with before I get into the kings, because the kings are really exciting, of course. But Mother Harriet Tubman and her namesake, Mother Harriet Jacobs, ironically, two women alive at the same time with the first same name, both born into slavery, both who self-emancipated, both who were war strategists, and, well, mothers in the since that I believe trans physically mother Harriet Jacob actually bore children mother Harriet Tubman cared for the children so these two women are so instrumental in what we have to glean from the ancestors both because they represented the practical application of what dr. King was referring to on the night of his assassination when he referred the audience somehow almost magically suggesting to them that there was a force operating during the Civil Rights Movement that they were not necessarily consciously aware of, at least not all of them, but which literally provided a weapon of defense and, I believe, an offense. Because when Dr. Keene talked about the fact that Bull Connor, who represented the height of – What we misguidedly refer to as white supremacy, but certainly the height of oppression, the height of brutality and everything evil about what this government represented then and arguably today. He was talking about the majestic struggle, which was referring to what took place five years before the night he was making this speech in Alabama, trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge with this group of people. And on that particular day, I think Dr. King felt it necessary to reveal something that he probably didn't feel it was either necessary or safe to reveal before. You know, these people were often speaking like the Messiah was in parables. So the words that you could hear, if you were not a part of this exclusive body of knowledge, if you weren't attuned to it, you might have just thought that they were talking, a good talk, but if you listen carefully and you start to weave together all of this wisdom that they had to share through their speeches, through their writings, their biographies, even through their Negro spirituals, things that sounded innocent to the naked ear, but were actually lethal weapons in the transphysical realm. Let me just put it to you in Dr. King's words. So it's it's Memphis, Tennessee. It's the night before his assassination, and in every way he knew that this was one of his last speeches, one of the last times he would be with the people. And so he's tasked with the responsibility of lifting the morale of a people who are so broken, motivated, unmotivated, spiritually feeling defeated in every way against this gargantuan monster of a beast that held them on every corner, almost like the same way during slavery, politically, economically, religiously, and culturally, legislatively, on all sides, just the same way our ancestors were during slavery, but in a more sophisticated way. And he is it's a rainy night, it's Memphis and see they're all in this church. It's hot and people are sweating. They're fanning themselves to keep up. But they are glued like like white on rice. To every word he's saying. And then he hits them with this. Bull Connor next would say, turn the fire hoses on him. As I said to you the other night, Bull Connor didn't know history. He knew a kind of physics that somehow didn't relate to the trans physics that we knew about. And that was the fact that there was a certain kind of fire that no water could put out. And we went on before the fire hoses. We had known water. If we were Baptist or some other denomination, we had been immersed. If we were Methodist or some other, we had been sprinkled, but we knew water. That couldn't stop us. And we just went on before the dogs, and we would look at them, and we'd go on before the water hoses, and we would look at it. And we would just go on singing, just over my head, I see freedom in the air. Now, I don't know if you heard it, King, but I heard something higher about fire, something higher about water, that our collective spiritual encounters with water as a spiritual tool, as a liberation tool from, from sin and from the depths of hum, human oppression, that that collective experience, no matter what denomination we were, was somehow operating in the background to subdue the water being thrown at them with the force of death through Bull Connor's fire hoses. And then I heard it about fire, that what there's a certain kind of fire that no water could put out. And I don't know about you, but whenever I see fire and I see water, I'm going for the water. Well, that's what Bull Connor was thinking too, right? He was thinking about the basic law of physics, like Dr. King was acknowledging. You know some physics. You know the first law of physics, at least, which is that an object at rest, the civil rights protesters, will stay at rest Right, unless an external force—the force of the fire hoses and an object—right, which was the water being used as the force to throw the the throw the uh, protesters right off of their stance of moral supremacy—that you would use your basic knowledge of this first law of physics to do that to exert your will through water. Well, (laughs) Dr. King said we had a relationship with water, too, and that our relationship with water was so powerful that there was a power there, he said, and I tell people, listen, I know this sounds incredulous and it sounds romantic and almost comic book to you, but we're talking about superheroes in every way because with our superheroes, they're people who literally have the power to control the forces of nature, right? So here, Dr. King confirms it because later on in the speech, he says, and there was a power, there was a power, there was a power there which Bull Connor couldn't adjust to, and so we ended up transforming Bull into a steer, and we won our struggle in Birmingham. He said, yeah. "I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna just let people resonate on that because sometimes I talk too much. But do you hear what yeah, I'm hearing?" Yeah, uh,
4: no, 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 no. Well, we want to tell your story and share your experiences, and so we can learn from you. It's a whole point to have information. So, again, remember, without well, information, we can't think. So I'm quite sure those who listen to me, my panelists, they can come back and they can raise some issues, so we can have even a better level of clarity in terms of this relationship between liberation and health. And um, you're doing an excellent job. Now, before we move forward, can I say a editor on the issue of how the um, soldier on the truth, or her tugman uh you these four elements in terms of her experiences based upon your knowledge?
6: Well, yeah, well, she is she's the perfect combination because with her we get health and war. With her, we get the elements in the most mystical ways and in the most practical ways. So let's start with the practical. Well, remember I told you that Mother Harriet Tubman was one of the most intelligent sources of her time. So we have to change this narrative that she was dumb, that she was uneducated. True, she was unread in that she was not allowed to be literate under law. But she was arguably one of the most intelligent forms of life on the planet. And that explains why the Union Army Won the war, largely due, and I dare say this, I dare say this due to the strategic advantage that Queen Mother Harriet Tubman, a natural war strategist, a master chance physicist, gave them as a successful spy, moving back and forth through enemy territory undetected because of her magnificent mind, in spite of her injuries, in spite of her color that made her an instant target, and in fact, of the bounty that was placed on her head, this woman was so genius that she would simply take on a new persona right in the face of her own so-called slave owner and successfully outmastered them in their own game. Time after time after time. And one of the gifts that she gave to the military was her medicinal knowledge. I mean, this sister, this mother... Had such an encyclopedic knowledge, plus whatever inherited knowledge, plus whatever she learned from her mother, who was a master chef and cook, who served both the plantation owners and the enslaved as, with her food and medicine. But her father, who was also a master transphysicist, the word Dr. King gave to us, not my word now, right? But the fact that this woman went into the swamp, and here's what Sarah Bradford had to say about what was going on during the Civil War. I mean. This is a brutal war. And partly why it was so brutal is because the Honorable Frederick Douglass had a role in that in both political and spiritual ways as a master trans physicist. And I'm going to come back to him. But what Mother Harriet Tubman's work was so profound as a nurse, a lot of people know about her work, you know, as the most efficient conductor of the Underground Railroad, which she clearly was. But what she was as a healer, a nurse, and for all intents and purposes, a doctor who was capable of putting together pharmacologically active roots and plants and herbs, create powerful teas and poultices using what she learned from her father about plants in the wilderness as he was a master timber inspector spending the majority of his time in the dense forest. And she got to spend time with him as a teenager. And all praises to the Most High. That was time well spent. Well, here's what Sarah Bradford had to say. She nursed our soldiers in the hospitals and knew how when they were dying by numbers of some malignant disease with cunning skill to extract from herbs and roots, which grew near the source of the disease, the healing dropped, which allayed the fever and restored numbers to health. That was Sarah Bradford. Sarah Bradford acknowledging the brilliance and the ingenuity of Mother Harriet Tubman. But because of Sarah Bradford, we also know that the mystic Mother Harriet Tubman, guided by her creator, who she identified, according to Scripture, as being the all-consuming fire. Well, Mother Harriet Tubman told Sarah Bradford that while she was sojourning on her many journeys, night and day, that there was something guiding her. Not a single movie has ever talked about it. Not a single movie has ever touched on it. Why not? Why is this being withheld from us, the fact that Mother Harriet me let me tell you what Sarah Bradford said. She put it like this, an invisible pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Okay. Now, remember, Dr. King had already revealed to us that there was a force operating in nature that literally enabled our people to counter the racial violence in the form of transphysics. He told us that just over my head, the people sing, I see freedom in the air. Well, guess who else saw freedom in the air? And so Sarah Bradford wrote, and so without money and without friends, She started on through unknown regions, walking by night, hiding by day, but always conscious, conscious of an invisible pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, under the guidance of which she journeyed or rested. Now, I don't know if any of you saw the movie, but they made it seem like she took a series of Uber cabs up and down the north and the south to freedom, even so arrogantly maligning her first journey by suggesting that, and if anyone in your audience is a white man, no disrespect, but disrespectfully saying that a white man offered to take her across the Philadelphia line. (laughs) Lies. She struggled the worst on that first journey, and it was an arduous journey. And even with the fire in the sky, let me tell you something about the Most High. The Most High doesn't mind putting the body through rigors. But what's so incredible about Mother Harriet Tubman? She never blamed the Creator for her trials in life. She only saw the Most High as a source of inspiration and resource and dynamic powerful tool of navigation, and she said it was a fire that guided her in the night. How many movies have you ever seen depicting Mother Harriet Tubman hone in on that most important fact? That's the four elements, fire in the sky during the day. So you're trying to tell me that an intelligent object appeared in the sky that directed her from Maryland to Pennsylvania? And you don't want to highlight that in the movie. This is not Sheila Brown speaks. This is Mother Harriet Tubman speaks through Sarah Bradford. It's right in the book. Why has no one directed our attention to that? You there, know, Well,
0: well, that's a that's let's... a question we we must
4: continue to try to research and figure that one out, Queen. But let me just raise this question with you, <laughs> you before we take our before we take our station what? break. Now. You mentioned mentioned this word, transphysics. I would like for you to discuss what that is, break that down to our listening audience, and in the process of doing that, talk a little bit about how your profession may have had an impact on how you wrote this book.
6: Yeah, okay. So remember, it's the night before his assassination, and Dr. King drops a jewel on us. A joke that he doesn't appear to have ever disclosed in any of his magnificent speeches. Now, we know this man was a gift for oratory like no other. He could command the attention of millions with the sheer sound and magnitude of his voice. Okay? And what I've gleaned from Dr. Martin Luther King is not only was he a very intentional man, he used words with the precision of a surgeon. Okay, so there was nothing accidental or coincidental about him taking two words, one a prefix and one a noun, and then taking this compound word and infusing it into our subconscious minds on the night before his assassination. It was almost as if he was passing on a baton, and it took almost 75 years for someone to pick it up, And I don't know why the Most High and Dr. Martin Luther King allowed me to be attuned to it, but I tell you this, I was already satisfied with what I had written about the voices of the ancestors when this jewel came to me about Dr. King. It was January. It was his birthday, and WPFW here in the DMB was playing his speech. And I was, like I said, pretty satisfied with what I got from Frederick Douglass, the Honorable One, and the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey, and the Honorable Nathaniel Turner, and of course, the Honorable Harriet Tubman and Harriet and even two unknown or lesser-known ancestors by the name of Sally Brown, and Gus Smith, I thought I was pretty much done, you know, with that chapter. I was ready to move on. Well, Dr. King is talking, and I heard this speech a thousand times, and then I heard it for the first time, transphysics, the four elements, the majestic struggle, which he says our struggle was to be longed for, right? He didn't mind even putting children in front of the battle because he understood that this was something powerful and that the children were surrounded by something equally powerful and so it was controversial for him to engage the children in some of these protests but he did it because he had a clear insight about what was and what would be and so let's talk about what I believe that his intention was when he combined this word well we know that trans Is a prefix i'm sorry i'm gonna take a little drink of water trans is a prefix um it just means to cross across on the other side or beyond um the word physics is a noun Um, A most basic definition can be found in the American Heritage College Dictionary, which is what I use. It has three different definitions. The one that is easiest for me to communicate is that it is basically the study of the natural or the material world and any phenomenon associated with it. Well, with Dr. King, he was taking these two words and he already had clearly an understanding of the concept of the force that it represented. And so he didn't use metaphysics. He didn't use um, miracle. He didn't use um, any other term that people would like to usurp transphysics with today. He used transphysics, and he was using it to say that we were able to access a source, a resource, an unseen resource that went beyond the physical properties or the laws of matter, namely air, fire, earth, and water. And now doesn't that make sense when you think about what Mother Harriet Tubman did, what Mother Harriet Jacobs endured, and what even the honorable Frederick Douglass did a hundred and fifteen years before. Well, I started this chapter off with the Honorable Frederick Douglass because the brother, Dr. Umar Johnson, had made it clear to us with this one little quote that I had heard him talk about where he said his uh, ancestor referred to as, uh, it is not the light we need, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. Okay, so I was like, well, this is a good place to start because I, I can clearly see all four of the elements. But as an attorney, I knew I had my work cut out for me. But the ancestor said, it's not your job. You're not you're not writing this. You're simply connecting the dots. So when I started to get my ego out of the way, the answers and the insights just started rolling in. Well. Let me give you a little context for that statement that he made because it's important because you got to understand that he was speaking to an audience of about 600 largely Caucasian people. And these were people who were celebrating, of all things, their freedom, their freedom from Britain, their emancipation, their liberation, And, and they thought it was most appropriate to invite Frederick, our good friend Frederick, to celebrate our independence from slavery while his people were still enslaved. A man who literally fought tooth and nail, literally to free himself. They wanted him to celebrate their freedom. Well, he accepted it, but he didn't accept it on the fourth—a form of protest that was often used by Black leaders during that time to to snub the Fourth of July, um, and also because it was dangerous for us. Because unfortunately, during that time, when white folk got drunk and they started stealing the power of independence and the power of their false sense of supremacy. They like to burn people, particularly black men. They like to castrate people. So it was dangerous for black folk to do anything if they were in a position to do so on the 4th of July. So it was common for black leadership abolitionists to do whatever they were going to do on the 5th of July. And that's precisely what he did. So it was 1852. And the... The Ladies Anti-Slavery Society, they've gathered this group of 600, and they are ready to have their egos massaged. And he started off that way. He thanked them for the privilege of being there. He said he wasn't sure if he was the right person for the job and how humbled he was. And then he let them have it. He invoked. The destructive power of water When he said Great streams are not easily Turned from channels Worn deep in the courses of ages They may sometimes rise In quiet and stately majesty And inundate the land Refreshing and refertilizing the earth with their mysterious properties. They may also rise in wrath and fury and bear away on their angry waves, the accumulated wealth of years of toil and hardship. They, however, gradually flow back to the same old channel and flow on as serenely as ever. But while the river may not be turned aside, it may dry up and leave nothing behind but the withered branch and the unsightly rock to howl in the abyss-sweeping wind, the sad tale of departed glory. Now, what he said next sent chills, chills down that audience's spine when he said, as with rivers, so with nations. I would not want to have been in that audience because if you could hear the thunder in his voice, if you could feel the anger in the waves, he said words like mysterious properties, earth, wrath, fury, bear away, angry waves, accumulated wealth, toil, hardship, serenely, old channels, withered branches, unsightly rocks. Well, the audience there was very smart, and they were able to glean that what they just heard was deeper than a speech that they were being warned about what would happen to them and their nation, their hard fought for nation, if they didn't reconcile with their oppressed masses. But they also heard something else because these people were very attuned to the emotional state of black men. They had mastered the art of understanding black men when he was angry, when he was... Suspicious when he was turned off, when he was turned on, they knew black men like the back of their hand, so they paid attention because they also knew the scriptures, and they recognized that there was a time when an oppressed people had seen the majestic and mysterious properties of water used on their behalf to depart the Red Sea and allow them safe passage in that same water being used as a mighty sword to destroy their enemies. So they didn't take for granted when they heard him speaking this petition to the Most High. And I guarantee you that is why to this day all of your black leaders in power have their speeches written for them so that you will never do to them what Thomas Jefferson feared and warned them about when he said, I tremble when I think about what will become my nation if there is a just God. See, we are dealing with people who understood what Dr. King understood, master trans physicists, and the scientists of today who have been working night and day tooth and nail pouring billions of dollars into understanding what it was that Dr. King was able to tap into and that they could only tap into with artificial intelligence. Are you with me, King?
4: I'm with you, Queen. I hear you. I hear you. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a rubbish there, culture break And when we come back, we will continue the discussion. We will bring in our political panelists, the analysts, and you, the listening audience. You can call in and have a discussion with our special guest today, our sister, Dr. Senator Brown, J.D. She's the author of the book, The Divine Self-Care Strategy. And not only is she a, um, she has a law degree, but she also, she's an inventor. And we'll talk about a little bit of that more when we come back. This is Africa on the Move. We'll be right back. We'll take a revolutionary culture break.
2: Today is the same and nothing ever changes Hung by news, can't tell the truth Filled with abuse and everywhere there's danger Changes. We must prepare and learn how to care for soon we'll there While our lives won't be in danger And when the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, hello Reno, a bloodline across the waters, but in the sacrifice of this blood of this dance with death comes life more rich more pure more alive where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral hollow waiting for someone to die palerino a french word called the place of torture became a place of strength a place where faces white saints became faces of black gods were haunted visions and demons Everywhere we go When the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey, yeah. And made it through my journey, yeah Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. This is the 13th day of November 2022. We have with us a special guest, Dr. Sussbaugh. Shirley Brown, J.D., she's the author of a recent book, The Divine Self-Care Strategy. We're discussing the nature of this book and her experiences as it relates to the issue of liberation and health. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to open up our phone line at 323-679-0841. Please hit 1 if you have any questions or comments. That you'd like to raise with our sister. We'll go to our political panelists and analysts, and we will turn the mic over to Brother High Key. Brother High Key, the mic is yours. Yeah,
5: <coughs> yeah. First, excuse me. First, I want to uh, thank the sister for you know um, bringing you know the whole question around the duality of existence. You know, often in political circles. We talk about materialism without understanding. When we talk about creation, we also have to include the spiritual aspect. So I appreciate her bringing us back to reality in terms of the duality of, of existence. Now my question to the sister is is this, and uh, I'm gonna give her a, a brief bit of history. She's probably aware aware of, of would follow by a question, but you know you know one of the things, oh so sister, you know um you know this, back in twenty nine hundred, uh that was a sh- stroll that was produced by uh, and by Kim Egypt, by way of the Nile River Valley, and this document was called the Ebers Papyrus. And interesting enough, this particular stroll talked about or detailed the human physiology and knowledge of medicines. Now, we divided into two, two, two additional parts. Uh, the second part was the calhoun gyneco- Gynecological Papyrus, which detailed the physiological system of females. In that particular section of scroll, it dealt specifically with the question around for John awareness, and the third aspect was the Edwin Smith Surgical Papyrus, and this particular aspect deals with the uh, surgical procedures, particular spinal cord, neck, neck, brain surgery, eye surgery, heart vascular surgery, including the arteries and veins, and the system or the circulatory system. Now, what is interesting about that? This particular knowledge has been expropriated by the West. And interestingly enough, supposedly at that point in time, there was no extensive knowledge terms of terms from vernacular structures. But despite, and I have quote-unquote, extensive a, a knowledge of vernacular structure, these Africans are able to achieve on an extraordinary level. So my question to you, sister, what role do you think spirituality played in terms of being able to innovate, you know, uh, knowledge that's being used today?
6: Well, King, that is an incredibly um, amazing question, and I would feel almost, intimidated by <laughs> by if I couldn't relate to the core principles of what you were suggesting, which is at the root of it, our ancestors clearly possessed some kind of knowledge that enabled them to engage in sophisticated surgeries, sophisticated understanding of the male and female anatomy, and how to use both all of the elements, plus higher awareness of medicinal properties to correct imbalance. So what I'll say is this, on the practical side, our ancestors believed that everything in the universe was made up of the four elements, including the ancient Kemetic family, ancient Sumerian family. And if there was any families that existed before them, which I'm sure there likely would be, this was the basic premise of all healing and all progression through life. So they understood that the divine was able to communicate with them for everything that was needed for medicinal purposes and for the progression and the enjoyment of life through these four elements. They need, that also means, and what they also interpreted that to mean, that any kind of imbalance between these elements represented or manifested as disease and so knowing that the body was made up of air fire earth and water which was con which is basically confirmed by all respects of medicine today right we know that the elements air fire earth and water are present in the human body. Our ancestors were keenly aware of this knowledge as well. They also understood that when there was this type of imbalance, they simply needed to address or redress it using these four elements. So the spiritual component, as far as what I can glean from what our ancestors who have discussed and from what my own matriarchs have discussed and likely from what the ancient comedic doctors have discussed was that fifth element of your intention, your divining work to prevent or to cure someone or to harm someone is what determined the outcome of disease or determine the outcome of health. So not being an expert in ancient comedic teachings, I can glean from what you are saying is that our ancestors had a higher knowledge of both spiritual principle and biological principles that enabled them to do this divine work of healing. But you know what's even more incredible to me is the fact that those ancient people genetically live on through us modern folk because if they exist if we exist they existed and if they exist they live through us and so whatever ingenuity manifested in them that enabled them to take care of our sensory organs for example a lot of people think that when they see the eyeliner on ancient Egyptian images, that that represented beauty and beauty alone. But in fact, I was able to glean through some research as I was writing this book here that that was actually medicine, that ancient people recognized that especially those in ancient Egypt and even current-day Egypt and in regions similar to this where they were constantly bombarded by the um, environment and the forces of nature that attacked the eye, meaning that one of the chief diseases during that period was blindness, ocular scarring and um, eye diseases that they had to continue with. Well, the ancient medicine people of that time recognized that when a derivative of lead was applied through a formula that looked to us like eyeliner, which in Arabic they refer to as coal or kahol it actually created an immunological response that when seeped into the eye actually prevented some of the more devastating causes of disease like viruses that led to blindness. And it's just incredible because while we are today thinking that this was just beauty, if we think back, some of the most masculine men in the world And I believe many of them were African men, if not most, if not all, at least originally were wearing what we think of as mascara. And they were also wearing the veil when they were traveling through the desert. So it makes us question, well, if this is something for beauty, and we know that men don't do beauty in the way that women did beauty in ancient times, is there some uh validity to the fact that ancient cosmetics may have actually been
5: medicine okay, second question for your sister and uh this one I'm going to ask you to to speculate somewhat but I found it was very interesting you know a lot of uh uh scholars take a position that you know Africa being like a tropical uh a region uh the ultraviolet light sunlight is very very strong. And in the process, it creates a growth of, say, pathogenic microbes, including species of bacteria, fungi, and viruses. Now, in the process, African plants adopt these conditions, making plants effective in fighting these pathogens. Now, my question to you, sister, you know, as ozone layer weakens around the earth, will this increase demand for African herbs? Will there be an increase for African herbs, or will Western hubris reject the efficacy of African medicines, even though, according to World Health Organization, 40% of the world use herbal medicines.
6: Oh, I think there's no doubt that they are rejecting African healing modalities for us. But just like plantation owners proclaimed that the medicine woman and the medicine doctors or the, the what they call the root doctors of their time had no validity, well, the the truth of the matter is that the diaries of plantation wives and the writings and records of plantation owners revealed that they consistently and categorically relied on the pharmacological knowledge and skill of our enslaved ancestors who they publicly denounced de- as being witchcraft and root doctor and foolishness, but which they privately, privately usurped and patented and adopt it for example there was a african man who was an enslaved man who literally introduced the west to the science of immunity through introducing with the western or the west African, I should say, the African practice and concept of introducing a weakened version of disease into the body so that it can create lifelong immunity. That is an African principle. And he literally saved hundreds, if not thousands of lives during the epidemic of the smallpox in the 1700s by simply introducing this science. And in fact, the the doctors of that day, with their arrogance, didn't want to acknowledge it because it came from an African man. And so the people, white people, were seeing the results because when they relied only on the white institutions, they were finding that they were dying and that the people who surrendered to the wisdom of these so-called slaves and root doctors were surviving. And so This is another key representation of the trick that teaches us to reject Africanity and African brilliance And to embrace and only accept Western forms of healing modalities, which have today clearly demonstrated that African people are not a part of the healing mechanism. They are not to be included in it. In fact, I say you have to be very careful when you go into hospitals because many of them today operate much like sovereign governments when it comes to black people. And therefore, you better be careful when you are moving into these spaces about what you say and how you say it, because you might find yourself losing your freedom, your life, and your mental well-being because all a single doctor needs to do is make the accusation of child abuse or make the accusation that you are imbalanced mentally and you are out of there. You're out of it. And you will have to go through hell to try to prove that that is not correct legally, and medically. So, yes, I agree with you. There is two representations about medicine and how to go about medicine, one that we are being presented with that rejects or appears to reject anything health, herbal, medicinal, plant-based, anything rooted in what they call um, homeopathic or naturopathic um, origins, including vaginal steaming, including anything associated with what grandma and great-grandma and them had to do to reduce a fever or to cut off an injury. I mean, I personally have seen King how my matriarch, have addressed diseases like tetanus before we even knew what tetanus was. My grandmother had a foot injury when she was about eight or nine years old that was resulted a result of her stepping on a rusty nail. Anytime a metal enters into a child's body, it has the potential to cause poisoning of the blood. Well, my grandmother in the 1920s was a little girl who did not have access to The whatever technology was available to uh, people who had money and who had their ways with medicine in that world. So her grandmother, my great-great-grandmother Rebecca, did something very unusual. She literally took a penny that had been soaked in a solution and some salted pork fat, and she applied it to the bottom of my grandmother's foot that had the nail removed. It's such a painful experience for a child. And I'm sure she probably found some way to uh, help her manage the 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 pain. But her chief concern at that point, and everyone who was around her, was that she would be paralyzed or die from poisoning of the blood. That was a common disease, along with burns and snake bites, during the late 1700s, early 1800s, and the early part of the 19th century. Well, my grandmother told told me for years what that was like for her and what she saw two weeks later when that pork fat and penny was removed. And she said that thing was black and blue. I would have died. She said I would have killed me. You know, if her grandmother, great great grandmother Rebecca, hadn't known that. Now, what's so mysterious to me, King? was that, and I, I know this is probably a little indirectly related to your question, but these were African women who were using whatever resources were available to them, so I think it's relevant, is that Mother Harriet Jacobs, the enslaved woman that I was telling you about earlier, the the first woman to write her own biography after self-emancipating and putting herself at risk by eventually revealing her true name, um, well, this mother had a similar incident and a similar response to that incident. So Mother Harriet Jacobs had made her escape from Dr. Norcrum. And it was at one point during her um, hiding experience that she had to go in the middle of the night and hide in the bushes because she thought one of the other enslaved people had found out and revealed her location. So she went into this bush. It's pitch black at night. And suddenly she feels a sharp bite as something wraps its slimy, cold body around her leg and it didn't take for her long for her to realize that it was a poisonous animal, a snake or some kind of lizard. She suspected though it was a snake and so she hit it off as best she could and she tried to stay but eventually whatever that pain was, she was feeling more excruciating than anything she could imagine that those people who would capture her could do to her. She wobbled back into the slave woman's quarters who was taking care of her and when that woman saw the way mother's leg was swollen and deformed. She's almost Screamed and revealed her her location, but what she said was, I want you to take some ash and apply it to the to the pul- with as a poultice to my leg. And she said, Well, that did provide some relief. It wasn't good enough, and she was so terrified of losing her leg because that meant losing her freedom and her children. And so they decided that they needed to ask the doctor, the mother who doctored among enslaved people, and that mother said something that struck me to the core. Now this is over 150 years before my great grandmother's injury. And she said, take some coppers, soak them in vinegar, and apply the powdered substance or the powdered ash to the wound. Copper, copper, and vinegar. And powder? Well We think we're some smart people today because we know about alkalinity and acidity. Well, what those people realized was that a snake bite was acidic. And to reverse that condition, whether you were Native American or African, you needed to use something to make the wound more alkaline. They they weren't using the words alkaline and acidic, but they were using the principle. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a powder, a battery that's burst, and that there's this powder that forms of it, and we call batteries alkaline, right? Alkaline batteries. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Well, interestingly enough, I said, you know what? I've written this, but I better test this thing out. I don't want people making a fool out of me. So I said, okay, I got apple cider vinegar and I got white vinegar. I am going to soak these two pennies in the vinegar and just see what happens. Well, six hours later, you would never believe nothing happened. And I was devastated. I said, oh, Lori, I'm about to make a fool out of myself. Ain't nothing happening from these pennies. And I went to bed so disappointed. Well, when I woke up, Kim, the penny that had been soaked in white vinegar, had turned green from powder. And I said, oh, my God, there really is a powdery substance that forms when copper is soaked in vinegar. And you can only imagine that the vinegar acidity level back then was far more potent potent than what I was using today. So I could only imagine what the result was back then. And so I said, oh, my goodness, this ancestor, this enslaved woman doctor, was on to something. So I got on the Google and I started pulling up some words like uh, penny and vinegar and what happens and looking for answers and guess what I found. Believe it or not, King, that green substance that I found on the penny after soaking it long enough is called
2: malachite.
6: Now, I'm not making any medical or scientific claims. As far as I'm concerned, those facts that she was accurate when she said that copper and penny produce a powder was all that I needed. It's going to be incumbent upon someone else to find out whether or not there is any pharmacological benefits to it, but my job was done. It was valid. <laughs> there really was something to it. Now, I don't know about you, but how did my great-grandmother Rebecca know about the penny and the copper or the copper penny and the vinegar. I was I was missing the third element, but I knew that they were using what was available in the household. It wasn't that my great grandmother was a big pork eater and lover, but that was what was available. That was what society presented to them. So they weren't people who were ignorant about the power of food and, and the and the and the way food can affect the human body. They we had limitations. We are the slaves. We're the ones volunteering to go and eat slave food out of a carton today, little coffins, and eat out of a trow voluntarily. What was forced on our ancestors, who even then used their ingenuity and their brilliance to circumvent a diet of pork fat and cornmeal, and if they were lucky, molasses by growing greens. Is it possible? But the mercy that we needed from the earth was collard greens to counteract a parasitic, poisonous diet of pork fat and cornmeal (laughs) all day long, every day. And the one food that would flush the body of all of its toxins of a diet that is so toxic, watermelon. We have been need to feel bad about it, to feel ashamed. You think that's a coincidence? You think our enemies don't know transphysics? They do. <laughs> so I know I've gone on and on and on, and I've probably forgotten your question, King. But, yes, there is an agenda to malign herbs, but not for them, for us. In other words, even though our ancestors enjoyed the Tuskegee experiments after Dr after Booker T. Washington, who was the real doctor, not me, uh, brotherly, I'm an attorney, but um, I'm not a PhD or a medical doctor, but I appreciate what you're trying to do because Juris Doctor is a, a form of doctorate, but it is not the kind of doctor that our society basically honors as a doctor, so they just call us little attorneys, and that's fine with me. I'd rather be called Sister Sheila, but what I was trying to say, (laughs) What I was trying to say is that, yeah, there is an agenda to separate us from everything that makes us human, which is partly why I've written this booking, because I see something that disturbs me and that frightens me to the core, like Frederick Douglass, when he the fear and shiver down the spine of his audience. Well, I have that same shiver down my spine when I look at the strategic plan that has been implemented and the key performance indicators that it is successful, that the, the world powers The global powers have implemented against our people culturally, medically, and spiritually that makes our daughters attach these appendages to their hair and to their eyes and to their behinds and to their breasts and all the other ways that we will begin to see them distort and deform themselves on purpose, voluntarily entering beauty bondage, which is not real beauty but is a form of self de emancipation where you can't get in touch with nature because the appendage that you've applied to your hair, whether that's through glue or through sewing, and probably eventually will be offered in the form of a full head transplant. You now can get your whole Indian head. You, no one will ever question if that's your hair because it will be attached to your scalp. Irreversible surgery. Only three ninety nine. Right. Once (laughs) it gets to that level where we can't even identify ourselves, we no longer can access the sun, where we were pulsed by the sun because what it will do to our eyes after years and decades of applying the glue to our eyes. Right, they're doing the bondage beauty, they're doing the exact opposite of what our ancestors were doing so that they could fulfill their divine purpose, which was to maximize and to make more efficient the sensory organs, the ability to hear at a physical and spiritual level, the ability to see at a physical and spiritual level, to speak at a physical and a spiritual level, like our great orators, Dr. Martin Luther King Junior and the Honorable Frederick Douglass. And don't forget, don't you dare forget, the most powerful and significant man of the 20th century, the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey, who literally closes my chapter on the voices of the ancestors when he made that powerful statement from Tombs Prison that, as far as I'm concerned, sealed the deal on me proving my point about the elements and how our men our warriors, our war strategists in particular, wielded the elements with a theoretical aspect of war for the purpose of seeing it manifest within seven to ten years in the physical world. Well, the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey, as you know, he was in Tunes prison after being falsely indicted of, um, accused of, indicted, and prosecuted for meal fraud after being sabotaged by the uh, secret societies of that time, both black and white. And he is there, although his life is in danger, like Dr. Martin Luther King's was So many times he was still thinking about the vulnerability of his people. And so he wrote this letter that you will never, ever be able to deny the four elements and the same spirit, although 75 years after the honorable Frederick Douglass, remember who invoked the fire and the lightning and the storm and the earthquake and the destructive power of water. Well, let me, let me close that chapter for you. If you have any doubt remaining that these men, were trans physicists, these were men who were calling on the four elements the forces of nature as a war tool. And he said, if death has power, then count on me and death to be the real Marcus Garvey I would like to be. If I may come in an earthquake or a cyclone or a plague or a pestilence or as God would have me, then be assured that I shall never desert you or lead your enemies to triumph over you. Look for me in the whirlwind or the storm. Look for me all around you for with God's grace, I shall come and bring with me countless millions of black slaves who have died in America and the West Indies and the millions in Africa to aid you for your freedom, liberty, and life. Okay.
5: With One final question, sister. One me? final question. One final question. Definitely, this is the final question. But Africa is it's literally the center of the world. Uh, in Africa, is estimated over 45,000 species of plants. 5,000 of which are used for medicinal purposes, but only in Africa. Now, when you think about Africa being the center of the earth, uh, I see it as being strategic. But in that context, when you talk about Africa being strategically located, what role would spirituality play in terms of Africa actually inhabiting the middle of the world?
6: I want you to – that was a lot, and I'm sorry. My mind was still on Marcus Garvey. But what role will Africa's geographic location as the center of the world play in the spirituality of our people? Is that what you're asking?
5: Yeah, I'm asking. You, so, 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 if if you would look at Africa being centrally located in the world, I'm assuming okay. that you know, given the fact that it's right in the middle, then it has some kind of spiritual significance. So, I'm asking you, in your estimation, what do you think in terms of Africa being spiritually situated? And also the fact that you have all these, these only plants that are used for medicinal purposes are found, well, not just in Africa, but most of the plants found for medicinal purposes are found only in Africa. So what is the correlation between that location in the world and the plants that exist in that part of the world and its particular contributions or specific, well, potential contributions to the world over? Well, I think your question
6: contains the answer in itself. You know, Africa is a place that clearly was blessed by the Most High with all of the abundance to be completely self-sufficient. And I think the bigger concern is not that we know that Africa is the center of the world with everything that is needed to sustain life completely independent of any other country and the only country capable of doing that. But our enemies also know this. And so the the fight for global power is what is going to show up as one of the greatest challenges because it's a global power for the control of Africa's resources. And so there is a spiritual component to that that requires our enemies to destroy us spiritually and physically by not only disassociating us uh, psychologically from Africa's potential benefits to us as people throughout the diaspora to prevent us from connecting in the kind of way that would allow Africa to move as one body like the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey had intended for us to do by unifying African countries. Because what good is the, the fact that Africa in the north has a cure for one of the deadliest epidemics? But the people in Central Africa can't even cross the borders freely to communicate with, access, and trade with the people who might have one piece of the puzzle that we're dealing with as a people. So this global awareness that the world needs Africa is the real issue, not whether or not spiritually it is valuable, there's no doubt about that. It's about us being convinced that we need to do something to organize ourselves to take control of those resources and to unify the people in such a way. I mean, I've read recently where these global powers were having a discussion about a unified Africa, and a certain country located in Israel said that the unified, unification of Africa is not good for us. So that's a force outside of Africa telling other global European powers that they don't want Africa to unify because it's not good for their well-being. That's the problem, King.
5: Okay, thank you, sister.
6: You're welcome. Next, we will go to
4: our brother Anthony, and we would like to welcome him to Africa.
1: The mic is yours, brother Anthony. Thank you for having me. Uh, Revolutionary greetings, uh, uh, sister. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's see. I found uh, your your presentation uh, very informative yesterday as uh, well as today. Um I want to ask you about um about uh this effort to uh destroy our sisters' uh, self-esteem and uh it's and uh it, it's been going on for nearly 100 years and I'm uh, alluding to uh the popularization of the straightening comb by uh, Madam C. J. Walker and uh, how uh, it really wasn't uh popular among uh, among the uh uh the elderly women of today, but more popular among the youth. And uh it seems as if our enemies are targeting our youth primarily for uh you know their assault on on our culture, and it's been going on for a while, like i said at, 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 at least a hundred years or so uh with the uh with the popularization, I'm not sure she actually invented it. But uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the straightening comb, Mm -hmm. and uh, when it was uh, marketed, I think it was African young women that were targeted primarily. Yeah. And sister,
4: um, sister, with the question, can I get just get you to add to? the issue of, in as we're talking about this whole question of the beautification of what it takes to be or should look like to be an African woman, Um, there seem like the powers that be have redefined this question of beautification in a way that is detrimental to our women and our well-being as a people
6: yeah well I think One of the ways that I seek to address that issue is just going to the core of what wellness and health is and um, trying to avoid attacking our daughters because that is the easiest way to have them feel alienated and completely dismiss you. So we have to be sensitive when we're discussing them and the way they are treating themselves and the way they are viewing themselves. And um, as a group of elders, as the custodians of their lives, a lot of the, of us have dropped the ball because it's up to us to teach the children and to exert our influence over them in ways that are more powerful and more um, more productive than what the forces of media have been doing. But this is a war that is virtually impossible to fight without engaging politics, culture, and spirituality, because if we don't engage those, if we don't teach them that your hair is not an accessory, that you can change day-to-day without having some internal consequences to every organ of your body, especially if you are seeking to alter the divine antenna that your hair was intended to be, the divine electrical conduit between you and the sun, just like the outstretched arms of a tree is reaching towards the sun for energy to transfer and communicate that to its internal organs so that it can produce fruit. The answer to that is to convince them that their bodies is a are a temple and a divine machine that must be treated just as intentionally and as carefully as you would treat your car meaning you would not apply nail polish to your brand-new Lamborghini or Jeep or whatever the car is that you value. You won't even treat your cell phone in a certain kind of way because you value that. You want to keep it as safe. You want to, you're concerned about how it operates, how the, the lens on the camera operates. And I bring the lens because our, our eyes operate much like a camera does. And so the glue that we apply to the eye to make it beautiful, or to appear to make it more alluring to the feminine essence is the equivalent of putting the glue over your camera lens. You would fight someone before you allow them to do that. Yet your most precious organ, your eyes, this muscle that is so important for you to fulfill your purpose for the community, for your own goals, for your business, for your family, for your children, you subject that eye to all manner of dangerous materials that you don't even know what the long-term consequences are, which ironically will clearly lead to blindness in 10, 20 years because of a key ingredient it formaldehyde formaldehyde is what allows the embalmer to be effective at preserving the human body ironically that looks so full of makeup well that embalming fluid is made up of 30% formaldehyde which is a carcinogen known known to cause cancer in fact they have to use PPE or uh, personal protective gear in order to use embalming fluid inside of their labs to embalm a human body. But they also have to clear the room of anyone else. That's how dangerous embalming fluid is. I think that we are being intentionally directed to embalming ourselves from the things that we're doing to our hair, applying that glue, applying, I mean, you talk about straightening comes king. That's the least of our worries. These sisters are doing some very dangerous things with pounds and pounds of chemicals that they apply to the hair and layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, never thinking, what am I doing to my head and to the sensory organs that are attached to my head, that are exposed through the pores to my bloodstream. What am I actually doing? to my body when I am altering my hair in this way. So we definitely have a task before us, but I believe that if we approach our children, our daughters in particular, respectfully, if we honor their humanity and recognize the challenges that they face as they vie to compete for a pool of men that is consistently and increasingly dwindling for marriage or even if marriage is out of the question for relational, sexual, or whatever kind of interaction that they might get so desperately needed from a man who have convinced them, at least in mainstream media, that you have to fit the body type and standard of a white woman or in a worse scenario or in a Middle Eastern woman in a least case scenario that you as you present with your brown skin and your naturally curly hair and your uh, large thick features, body curves and otherwise that you're not good enough. See this is so complicated now and it's so pervasive and it's so a part of culture whether they are aware of it or not. It has to be addressed Spiritually, like the brother was saying Mentally and politically From the time they are born And I and I admonish the kings who are here To please don't think that this book Is just for women This book is for fathers To give you a language So that you can advocate, protect And provide for your daughters Never let anyone convince you Whether that's a medical professional Or um, a deranged Or a dissatisfied mother or spouse That you don't have have access to the rights to your daughter's mental, spiritual, and physical well-being, but you need a language key. You need to have a vocabulary so that you can understand the physiology of your daughter's and that you can also teach your sons that because Divine self-care, which is what I'm purporting to teach, it's a holistic form of training because it focuses women on the head, not just the hair, the head, which includes the eyes, the mouth, the ears, and the nose, and how these particular sensory organs work, as well as the womb, as well as the feet. When we focus women on these three key areas, which our enemies have also focused their attention to, but in a deep, emancipative way, then we can explain to them logically why they need to be very careful about preserving these organs for both freedom and health. Because can you imagine the number of women that go missing each and every day, black women who are unaccounted for and accounted for, what percentage of them are women who have subjected themselves to surgery in other countries or underground surgical centers? That went in without telling anybody because they wanted to emerge in secrecy as this new dynamic body that everyone would envy and every man would want but end up losing their lives. And we don't know where they are because they never told anyone because of the shame or because the element of surprise they hoped to enact. So fathers, you have an important role about educating your daughters about the dangers of trying to adhere to this beauty standard voluntarily and involuntarily.
7: Hmm.
4: Brother Anthony, any other questions or comments?
1: Um no uh no uh that's pretty much it. Oh and um also I think I also want to raise the issue of the importance of Africa unifying uh because uh I I, I agree with your point that Africa with all this of its resources could be self-sufficient. But right now, uh, at the present time, Africa is divided into into about 56 non-politically viable and non-economically uh, viable states. And uh, if any one of them were to come up, uh, under attack by our enemies, they would not be able to defend themselves.
6: Yeah, and we see that manifest every single day. Um, You know, one of the conversations I was having with a brother earlier around how our people regrouped themselves after the um, demise largely of the UNIA, which was one of our last most um, serious efforts to create global African community and nationhood, was that people recognized that, The issue wasn't the enemy alone, but it was our lack of morality that enabled certain members of the community, even if it was only 1%, to infiltrate, to rape, and to steal from our efforts as a people for global and international empowerment, politically, financially, and otherwise they saw that it was this lack of spiritual commitment to freedom and liberation and I would argue health that enabled a small group of people to overturn the work of the masses for individual gain and I think that logically they felt the solution to that in whatever they did next after the UNIA was to form a bond around a moral principle, which often looks like religion. So in other words, if you are a Muslim like me, can I trust you? Can I, can I turn my back on you and wake up alive without a knife in my back? Can we serve the same God? Will that now enable us? to move forward in our efforts for freedom and life. In other words, what they saw was black folk did not share a common belief in the purity of freedom and liberation and respect for each other as human beings, such that we would never place our personal advancement over the advancement of the entire group. And so from that, we see the Moorish Science Temple, from that we saw the Nation of Islam, from that we saw the rise of the Hebrew Nations, from that we saw even the Noapia Nation or the Ansarla community and various others that we might not know about in Africa and throughout the diaspora. Another effort to try to continue the work, but to have some semblance of unity, spiritually consciously and otherwise that wasn't just political or financial because they clearly could see that politically people were content with having financial and political gain for themselves, W.E.B. Dubois and others, right? And so I think you're right that we have to look at that again, but we are faced with an even greater challenge that technology presents us with a greater dynamic where satellites are in the air and African people in leadership oftentimes are convinced that there are no consequences greater than not conforming To global
1: European powers. Thank you.
6: That's it.
4: Okay. We'll go from Brother Anthony to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, are you there? Your question or comments? Sister Eleanor.
3: good evening well. um, sister uh, attorney Sh- sheila brown Dr. Sheila Brown. this is a fascinating show, and I can't thank you enough for shedding insight into healing and the importance of spirituality with our healing and maintaining our health, where in this country africans as a as a whole have uh, the lowest uh, quality of life in terms of health results amongst all people. And we saw that mm-hmm. during the coronavirus. How do you think the vaccine and the coronavirus uh, play the role in, um, would play a role in the four elements and uh, the outcome? Of,
6: uh, what, that, the that question right there is a million dollar question because i'll put it like this let me say uh first i have pondered this question i will also disclose that i am not vaccinated i will also disclose that before there were any okay. vaccines the most high had put me in a position to address a very early case in Maryland, one of the first cases of COVID. Do not ask me how it landed in my lap, but it did land in my lap, and a sister who I know and had known for years who had a chronic autoimmune disease and had clearly gotten COVID before the hospitals in Maryland at Holy Cross were even willing to give the test, they sent this sister home to die. And because There was no other recourse. His queen called me and she said, Sheila, I'm looking for some of your divinity soup, which is a powerful soup that I make in honor of our ancestors' brilliance setting, fuses, collard greens, and a vegan gluten-free recipe. She was asking for that soup, but really what she was asking for something more, she was asking for help. And so I was at the height of my career, and I was writing books, and I didn't really want to be bothered, but there was something in this queen's voice that struck my soul, And I decided that it was better to assist her with healing than to try to have to plan a funeral and that I had something to offer her. And so I meditated on what it was because we didn't know anything about COVID at the time. And I, I, I just, I attuned myself to what I now realize was transphysics, which is the ability to have access to some knowledge about healing and wellness and liberation that might not appear in the books. And so after doing this work and bathing spiritually and engaging in prayer and cleansing my home so that I could engage in divine work of healing, I was given five powerful tools that involved the four elements of air, fire, earth, and water. And that when I tell you, when that sister received the information and followed the guidance to the T, that she was completely negative of COVID within thirty days, just like I advised her she would be, and called me excited on the thirtieth day. Oh my test is negative and I was like, Of course it is. What did you think would happen when divine intention couples with this kind of wisdom of essential oils and plants and the spiritual work that needs to get done? And I'm not talking anything spooky. I'm talking some clear essential oils that I had been using for years to help my own child and I um, avoid colds and flus, coupled with some herbs and some plants that I knew would be effective in boosting and removing mucus from the body and even helping to remove parasites from the body, which would definitely pose an impediment um, to the body healing naturally. And when I tell you, this queen reversed that condition before there was anything such as a disease. I knew that there was no need to even explain it. But from a political perspective, let me tell you this. As someone who has seen how our laws and our systems operate from a strategic level in more ways than one, I said this, let me tell you, when we think about the fact that Every human being on this planet is told that you are a culmination of your past, meaning that in order for someone to determine whether or not you are qualified and trustworthy enough to give financial um, loans for a house or a business, they examine you for at least seven years. They look back, you could have been eighteen years old or sixteen years old and had a credit card too mature prematurely and, and you've ruined that. But now you're twenty-eight and you you're ready to buy a house or a car. Well, they don't care that you're twenty eight and ten years more mature than you were, or seven years more mature than you were, that you now have a steady job and you're married or you're just living a little bit better. They say, oh no no, your past, catch me now, your past behavior indices for what your propensity to behave like in the future is. Now, I say that to say that our government, our financial institutions, our banks hold the principle true that a person should be judged today and in the future and using what they have done in the past to decide what their lifestyle will be like in the future, well, we need to do the same thing, except for with a governmental body, we need to multiply that by at least 1,000. So don't tell me the Tuskegee experiment was over some hundred years ago. It's in the past. No, as black folks, We need to be able to examine the last 7,000 years of a governmental agency. And so since this nation is nowhere near 7,000 years, we are definitely within our right to examine its behavior medically towards us over the last 70 years, over the last 200 years you understand where I'm going with this? So don't tell me that you can look at my behavior and use that to decide whether or not I'm qualified, I'm trustworthy, I'm able of making more uh, trustworthy behavioral decisions financially if I can't do the same for you. I hope you all see where I'm going with this. So if this country has a history medically, not just in the past, but even in recent days, of demonstrating study after study that racism is alive and well in the medical industry or the medical industrial complex, which I define as both um, surgical medical medical experimentation through surgery, pharmacology, and and um, what was the third one? Medic pharmacology, surgery, and um, medicine, right? So I'm, I'm missing a point because I was going somewhere else. But there are three large components. This experimentation, it's surgery, and pharmacology. That's what I was trying to say. So if these three complexes that make up the medical-industrial complex have demonstrated even in the last 200 years, but we know that this has been going on, Dr. J. Marion Sims, for far longer and it is a part of even recent studies that show that present-day doctors and students believe that Black folk have a greater tolerance for pain because their skin is thicker. Then you better you better think twice about any medical procedure that is being proffered to you, especially experimental, before you take it. And I'm saying, I, I am saying, I'm saying, look at the history, just like they look at ours to determine what their behavior is, the potential for it is in the future. What indices does any black person have when black women who are celebrities and who are lawyers are going into hospitals and complaining that they are being mistreated, that they are walking into the hospitals, perfectly healthy women, and walking out dead, dead, Not walking out, obviously, but coming out in the same condition, unable to come out in the same condition that they walked into the hospital with, even though they were perfectly healthy, we have to ask the intelligent questions and be courageous enough to deal with the consequences of those answers and trust that there is another solution, a therapeutic process that enabled Mother Harriet Tubman to address the monkeypox without fear. Now, I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination that Western medicine does not have something to offer us because it often just validates what our ancestors, present and past, have been doing already. They're simply confirming what Grandma Betty knew. What great-grandma Rebecca knew, what your grandmama knew, right? But there are some powerful advantages to the scientific advancements that have been made. However, that does not absolve us of our political and spiritual responsibility to recognize who we are dealing with and what they truly think about us. When people are telling you that, the population of the world has reached its limit, and that there will be a great, <laughs> a great carving out. What, look at Mother Fanny Fanny Lou Hamer, a woman who was suffering from fibroids. A lot of people don't realize this, but Mother Fanny Lou Hamer's initiation into the freedom and liberation movement was a health crisis. She simply went into the hospital to have fibroids removed, ironically, and woke up without a womb. Her entire uterus had been removed. And she was angry that someone had the arrogance, the audacity, the t- audacity, the testicular fortitude to deprive her of her, her genealogy. And it propelled her into the struggle for freedom and health. So if our children don't make these links and if the elders don't stay vigilant, we will lose sight and think that our fight as black women is a fight for the right to abort our young. No, our ancestors were fighting for the right to have birth, to to be human, to raise their children with the same and greater economic access to wealth that the people who once oppressed them were doing.
4: Sister Eleanor, any other question or comment?
3: Yes. <laughs> yes, I do have a comment. I thought that was uh, um, fascinating. And Fannie Lou Hamid, I had no idea that they had given her a hysterectomy. But I oh, do they know called that. the Mississippi appendectomy,
6: Queen. It was so common. To uh, sterilize black men and castrate black men and use them for experimentation, that was that was honestly one of the least painful things that our ancestors were subjected to. Mm-hmm. But it was so prevalent in the South, and particularly in Mississippi, among black women, little girls that go in and get their tonsils removed, put to sleep, and woke up with a uh, cut over their uterus, over their stomach, because they had decided that they were going to take off the womb. It was com- so common. Black folk called it the Mississippi appendectomy. Look it
3: up. Wow. That's that's very interesting. And now my concern is the extraordinarily um your opinion of the extraordinarily high death rate of who died in this country from COVID. Uh African Americans, elderly, people in nursing homes, group homes and being cared for and the disabled. Is that coincidental?
6: I think it's not. I think the great calling is here in that this COVID is just one of a first wave that we have better prepare ourselves for mentally, spiritually, and otherwise. And the only tools that we have are the four elements. And let me tell you, sometimes the four elements manifest in the form of fire, but in a
3: spiritual. In the bulk, yeah. Excuse me, Queen. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't speaking to you. I'm sorry, Queen. You were saying that we have to, it's the first of many, I'm sorry.
6: And one of the first of many of those elements is the gift of fire, but in a spiritual way. So one of the things that I teach our people is that uh, fasting is one of the greatest medicinal gifts that we will ever have access to. Fasting invokes the fire element. That's why fasting is so powerful because you are not only burning and destroying cells that are um, that are um, um, what they call deformed cells or cells that have been damaged, but After a certain period of time, your body starts to consume anything in your body that is malignant or precancerous. It's a very powerful tool, and it's also a burning because during the process of fasting, you are literally burning away some of the habits that cause you to become obese, that cause you to have addiction, that cause you to suffer from diabetes, that cause... Fasting is one of the greatest tools. In fact, it is one of our chief liberation tools. Mother Harriet Tubman and her father fasted every Friday. Thus, when it was time for her to deal with the wilderness through her sojourns, she was not subjugated to slavery like so many of our other ancestors were because they were afraid of starving. A lot of people rejected the opportunity to self-emancipate because they were afraid that they would not have access to food. And they had good reasons for believing that. Many a folk had returned starved, boned, because they just didn't want to die out in the wilderness starving. So there was precedent for the fear of starvation, but the master transphysicists understood how to wield the elements even in a spiritual sense like fasting. So fasting, I teach, is one of the most powerful medicinal tools that we can have, and it's accessible to everyone. And in fact, if you're not aware of the challenges that the world stage is presenting on purpose for the world as a part of the great calling, and calling means the reduction of the population, who are the people that you mentioned that were purportedly the victims of COVID. It was the elderly, the undesired elderly, those who they consider not contributing to society financially, but being a financial burden on society. That's the way the Western world perceives our elders. That's not an African principle. But they were also getting rid of the people who they also conceived to be useless eaters. And that, unfortunately, is us, (laughs) the descendants or the diaspora of Africa. So, If you cannot be used for the subjugation of African people or if you cannot be used to mine the resources and if you cannot be used to uh, advance medicine as an experimental body, there really is no need for you as far as they're concerned. You are a nuisance. You are a useless eater. So if you're wise enough to recognize that the European power structure has historically seen you in that way as the haulers of water and the choppers of of grain and wood, then you are going to miss some of the important signs that will be presented to us in the form of medicine, religion, and politics that are coming. So not only do we need to be aware of what options there are medically, and I'm not saying to reject medicine in any way, there are powerful, tools that medicine can present usefulness for but you have to also be equally mindful that there are people who are so beneficial so so vested in western culture and society that even if they were exposed to the truth they would not anything to warn you because it will be not, not be economically advantageous for them to do so. In fact, it might present a danger. Look at all of the people who have been unalived, is the new uh, politically correct term for murdered, <laughs> the unalived because they dare to come out and expose studies or they dare to come out and share some of the insights, even white doctors who are not in alignment with this calling this great calling they have been silenced since when have you ever seen white doctors of any discipline of any field of medicine been told that they don't know what they're talking about by politicians i mean doctors are gods in this country they have the final say over everything and certainly over black folk but now even white doctors who are not aligning up with the storyline of how they expect the therapy for COVID and any other variation of it to be, they are being told that they are invalid, we better be paying very close attention. Protect yourself using logic and common sense, just like the Honorable Marcus Messiah Garvey would have done and his amazing, brilliant counterpart and confidant, Mother Amy Jack Garvey.
4: To and, on, and on that note, we'll go to Carlos 7244. Carlos, call the last four numbers uh, 724. Your question or comment, please.
7: Peace and power, Brother Africa and uh, the panelists. and the uh, Africa on the Move show. This is your brother, Ikwani, uh, calling from South Carolina. I will that everybody is well in a great show. Um. My question is because i as a forty three year old black man um I don't really believe in faith or i don't you know i don't cater to that word well um especially since you know my um my exodus from the church but I can say that my my father had uh he was diagnosed with cancer maybe about nine years ago, 19 years ago. He he passed away in 2014 from several different um, cancers. And um, I had a aunt that passed away like four years prior to him, and she passed away from Crohn's disease. And I can recall myself avidly trying to assist them with trying to find out you know uh different modalities of healing themselves and you know, and that's what kind of prompted me to get on my diet and get in my journey but um in two thousand and fourteen like uh nine years ago uh I found out that I had testicular cancer and um for 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 me this topic of this show is the one that basically hits me. I'm not sure of all of the listeners, but out of any of the listeners, I know it hits me very, very hard. And even with being at a space or at a place where I can discuss liberation, I can discuss my, I'm not going to say fears, but my worries and concerns going to those folks to have my self-castrated. You understand? And I do know that post the time that they were talking about cutting my testicle off in order to remove the cancer, I when I opted out not to, I was able to create a very beautiful child, Gary my Kenneth you? and mm-hmm. you know I was able to have her as a you know have and she's out of all of my children, she she loves me the most. Um, so I do know that that was to me a level of sacrifice because I wasn't ready to have my testicle removed, but I had to question if I was an ignorant idiot, if I was stupid because the majority of people around me, no one was around me to assist me within this act of revolution, within this act of liberation, because I wasn't just doing it ignorantly. I didn't say, well, Hey, I'm not going to the doctor just because I was being blind, I had known about the procedures and practices that the doctor just spoke of. And I was Mm -hmm. weary of putting my life in their hands. But I can say that I'm here eight to nine years after that diagnosis. And I stand with question of how I can assist myself and also others. There's another brother from from my, my... I'm from a small place in South Carolina... So a lot of times we aren't privy to having the knowledge of holistic healers, health practitioners, functional. They they don't t- even. I have a little homeboy. I'm helping him, and they put him on hospice. They've given him the chemo treatment. They've given him the radiation treatment, and everything. And it's only broken and deteriorated his body. And mm-hmm. I'm at a place where I'm having to now help him out. And I'm poor, I don't really have much money myself because it puts me at a place where I can't go out there and work normally because I have, you know, these situations on my testicles. So it has put me Mm -hmm. at a place where I'm having to still go out there and do something, but try not to be too strenuous. So this does bring me to a place of how can I help myself with helping others? I came up with this, uh, with a group or with a, with a mission, with a movement and I called it help healing every level of people. And in Mm -hmm. that, that's what I want to do. I want to go out and assist folks. If they're wanting to go to the, the medical route, I don't want to argue with folks and fight people. You know, if they are wanting to do that, I would like to help them and, you know, be assistance But I've also questioned myself of how I help myself so I can help others. Um, So I can just tell you that I've been led by, quote, unquote, I'm not going to say faith, but I'm just going to say my African spirit is the thing that Mm -hmm. led me to, you know, to have the confidence, to know that I can win, and almost to where I'm inspiring others that don't want to be inspired. So I'm almost like having to inspire people that would almost, that I'm looking for them to inspire me. You understand? Mm -hmm. In my time of lack or when, but it's, it's, I I can't get that. And it's almost like it's falling on on deaf ears. And, you know, so I'm I'm just trying to figure out what what it is I may need to do. The assistance, you know, it's almost desolate and, and, and deserted when it comes down to assistance that I may be able to have, whether it be financial assistance, whether it be medical assistance, I have to come out my pocket with everything, you know. Uh, so, so, like I said, I'm at a place where I'm a, 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 a cancer survivor, you know, and I'm still fighting that fight. But I also have questions of how can I be more, um, I'm going to say, aggressive and, atten- and intentional with because right now I'm not on any types of medicine. I've been a vegan for uh eight years. I drink a lot of water uh and I do meditate. but I'm almost mm-hmm. at a place where i wanna, I want to get some good stuff that is going to allow me to get down to diminishing these lesions that are on my testicle. You understand mm-hmm. um and, and and to the brothers out there, this is like this is a rare thing to me because I as a black man, I never heard anything like this. You know, and what mm-hmm. to do in these types of situations. So, you know, I wanted to present myself to you in front, of the, in front of the panel as it relates to me wanting to help myself and help other Africans in order to not be in this situation, in order to, you know, have more clarity, more attention to what those folks will try to do to you.
6: Sure Asha King, thank you for being so transparent, and thank you for your bravery and for your um, willingness to take responsibility for your health and wellness. Um, there are three points that come to my spirit that I want to share with you um, that relate to your topic about persevering. Um, the one about faith, your um, your attitude, has enabled you to create the dynamic that allows a human being to persevere in the face of adversity. The words that we use um, are just representations of the intentions that we have. So if a person who doesn't have your best interest says, what's up? As opposed to a person who says, hey, what's up? Same word but different intentions. One of them might indicate you got a problem with me and the other one might mean, Hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. How are you? Same words, different sets of intentions. So the word faith could just mean for you and I'm not here to argue whether or not you use the word itself, but I just wanted to emphasize that you're on the right path. Your decision to live is partially responsible for you living. The other thing that I want to bring to your attention is that you've already taken the right step in having a vegan diet, and that has probably extended your life in many ways and will continue to do so. But there are some key foods that we now know are so powerful that they actually make it very difficult for cancer to survive and sustain itself within the body. And one of those foods, in fact, this food is so powerful. It's such a part of my diet. I, if I, God forbid, were told that I had any kind of cancer today, I would go and get two dozen onions, but not just any onion, red onion. And I would do what one of our ancestors did in my book, which would be to use the powerful antiviral and anti-cancer properties in red onion to create teas, to consume raw as a part of salads, to roast. I would eat those red onions any kind of way I could as many times a day as I could. And I would even juice them. Red onions make it so difficult for cancer to exist in the body that scientists have looked and studied at this compound so powerfully. So that is one of the agents of divine health that you have at your disposal, and I would encourage you to look deeper into it. But there are so many other foods that have anti-cancer properties, including some of the citrus fruits, that you should intentionally incorporate into your life and your diet. The other thing that I will say is that you have you have you have personified one of the principles that I think COVID has taught us and that is the fact that just because black folk have access to a medical building, hear me out, does not mean that they have access to quality medical care. I'm gonna repeat that. Having access To a restaurant facility, to be able to walk into a restaurant does not mean you are going to get quality restaurant service and experience. So don't confuse access to a facility with access to the same quality of medical care that would cause you to reverse your condition. Now, I don't mean to say that to discourage anyone from going to the hospital. I am simply stating the facts many of us have learned the hard way. I have personally experienced walking into medical facilities and being right. overlooked, disregarded, or being offered less treatment than other people. The second thing is that COVID revealed to us that the treatments that people admonish you to get without any questions can be taken away from you just like during COVID. Do you remember during COVID lockdown when dentists were mandated to shut down for three to six months? So even if you had an emergency with your tooth, if you couldn't access the emergency room, your dentist was not able to access you. So what does that teach us? You better have some resources and some knowledge about using what is available to us in nature. One of the things I want the daughters of the Most High to do as a part of their innate curriculum as girls and even boys is to do what Mother Harriet Tubman's father did for her, and that is to create a body of knowledge about the basics of the human body and how it works and how the things that are available to us in nature, the plants and the earth, our children should have a body of knowledge about herbs before they turn 18, about how the body works when under sickness and when operating optimally, so that they can learn that if you have a high fever, if you have a migraine headache, that peppermint essential oil can be applied to the back of the neck to reduce that temperature and the headache within 15 minutes, that a certain combination of oils like cloves, cinnamon and rosemary coupled with lemon and another herb can be used to create a powerful antiviral that treats upper respiratory disease. There's a blend of oils called thieves that I have been using for over 20 years that achieves that very thing. And that the environment and the proper purification of water and fasting can be powerful tools that aid whatever cancer treatments are available. But there are alternative treatments that are out there to you, and I encourage you to continue to seek them out because do you know how many black women were induced into getting hysterectomies by their doctors? that even white women have created a society that addresses the concern that they have that over 40% of the millions of women, a majority of which were black women, that were induced into getting hysterectomies were completely unnecessary, that even the best well-meaning doctors of today, many of them have had their hands tied because the companies, the corporate heads that run hospitals are the same corporate bodies that govern the makings of of corporate cars, of, of Lexuses and Mercedes-Benz. These are business people. These are not healers. And doctors are induced, forced in many instances to address the bottom line. So that letter that your grandmother gets every year from her doctor that refers to her by her first name, it is automated letters because what they won't tell you is that in order for hospitals to get their um, reimbursement from government agencies that provide Medicaid and Medicare assistance, they have to re-diagnose the, an- the elders annually. That's what the annual letter is about. It's not a tear and genuine concern. That letter is a template and it's automated and the signature isn't even real. So we have to be mindful of these things operating in the medical world and do whatever you can do to empower yourself, King, as you have already been doing. And I would love to have a further conversation with you because there are people who have overturned their cancer diagnosis and they're on social media, they're on the online, and they can probably provide some even greater insights than what I may have to share with you. My number is 301 388 Five two seven
7: three. That's
6: 301, you can text me. three oh one. Three oh one. Uh-huh. Five two seven three. And my um, email is info at Sheila Brown dot com.
7: At info at Sheila Brown
6: Speaks dot com. Okay. And let's start connecting at- the dots. But you're already
7: yes, on the ma'am. right track, And, 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 and I want to, again, thank you. Thank, uh, you know, the great brother Africa and the, 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 the show Africa on the Move because I feel more comfortable speaking about, you know, my my position and my path with you all, especially as it relates to elders because the tip is the majority of the time I bring my situation to a lot of people, you know, it falls on death's ears. You know, a lot of people around me aren't concerned. You know, they, 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 they seem to say they, they, they may love, but uh, you know, I wonder if they even know how to, you know, and I, and I'm sure they don't know. So I do want to connect with you. And, you know, like I said, I have my, my little friend, uh, CJ, and, and he's doing great because they wrote him off. They, He was supposed to be dead, you know, as it relates to the cancer, you know. But I want to be able to help him and help others that may not have the money to go out there and get the expensive herbs or the other supplements and things like that. But they do want to live. Um, So I humbly appreciate you, doctor. Uh, Thank you for your time. And, you know, of course, thank always thanking uh, Africa on the move. Great show.
1: Thank you, King. And y'all
7: are going to get me
6: in trouble calling me doctor. <laughs> y'all are going to get me in trouble calling uh-huh. me doctor. So I, have to, I have to address that I am not yep. a medical doctor, King, especially since we're talking about health and wellness. I don't want people to use that as a weapon against me to try to say, this is a woman uh, holding herself up as a doctor. I'm not yeah, a medical yeah, doctor. Yeah. I'm not I, I,
7: I, I understand do that. I, I, understand that. And you, may, you don't have to call yourself that and I, but that's what I'll refer to you as, in my humble opinion <laughs> and how I feel about you, because we appreciate what you're doing, even with all the all of the information and what you told me about the onions. I want to ask you one more question. Now, I know Dr. Sabi says about not taking the garlic. Is garlic good or bad? Because I've heard a lot of good things about the garlic as it relates to cancer.
6: Let me tell you something. I have had the kind of experiences that have introduced me to starvation or feeling intense pains of hunger, and now I understand why I had to go through that. There was a time where I thought I was cursed because no matter where I was, I seemed like I couldn't find a job stable, even though I was a licensed attorney. So listen to what I'm going to say very carefully to you, King, because this is important, and it also relates to the work that our ancestors had to endure and deal with. We are coming upon an age of food shortages and food war and disparity. I will never tell black people who come from a range of the spectrum of living in food deserts to having an overabundance of food arrogance where you know they can enjoy Chinese today, Italian tomorrow, fast food for breakfast you know, a fancy restaurant for lunch, uh, a takeout for dinner, I would never tell black folk to not eat any kind of vegetable or root on the premise that it is a hybrid. Now, I'm not saying that what Dr. Sebi said is invalid. It may very well be valid. But what I'm also saying is that I know from experience what hunger can do. And I know from experience, What happens when you are in an asymmetrical power dynamic where you don't control the production, distribution, or access to food? And here is what I'm trying to say, King, is that I've been in a situation where I have been hungry and I did everything I could to prevent hunger from hurting my child. And when you are in that situation, people go out of their way to remind you of how vulnerable you are with food. So, for example, if you are a vegan and you find yourself in the situation that I was in a couple decades ago, that person feels it necessary, even if they don't eat beef on a regular basis or pork, to lace whatever food they cooked with whatever it is you don't eat, to simply magnify the fact that, as the old folks used to say, what they used to say? What was that saying they used to have? Beggars can't be choosy. So what I'm saying to Mm -hmm. you is, Uh out of respect for the experience of human nature, I don't think it wise to tell black folks to avoid any kind of vegetable, even if that vegetable may be conventional and not organic, or even if that vegetable might not make it to Dr. Sadie's approved list. See, we have been living in the age of abundance for food, many of us. And so we don't know the kind of hunger oftentimes that comes that will make you question whether you should eat your neighbor or not, but it's coming. And when I tell you that, it is that with a great deal of humility as someone who also teaches emergency preparedness with a focus on black people in general and black women in particular, that any kind of root or food or thing that has any medicinal property. According to the rules of Sheila Brown, you should engage with it. It it is affordable to you and accessible to you. That's what my position is on garlic.
7: Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am.
6: It has some medicinal properties. It has some powerful properties that operate as an antiviral and an anti-aging. And I say that with the greatest of respect to our beloved Dr. Sadie, who many of his values I hold. And if there were no question about the prevalence and the availability of food, I would probably follow to the T. But I know better, King. I've been hungry. You be careful mm-hmm. about that okay. attitude about food. Because the same people who are teaching that um, that That privileged doctrine about food will, in an instance of the right kind of conditions or the wrong kind of conditions, will eat, will beat you over the head for a, a dead snake. See, we've been so blessed in the West, in spite of the racism we've experienced, that for the majority of us, we have not known that kind of hunger, but it is coming so you have a humility around food, and you eat and try to grow whatever you can naturally, and as long as you can be a vegan, naturally you do it. But be aware that there are times that are approaching where you may find yourself eating things that you would never eat under normal circumstances. And I'm not advocating for eating meat because I'm a vegan myself, but I know for a fact from experience that that kind of food arrogance can be easily stripped away from you. Why do you think they show these movies with our ancestors, people who are very proud and intelligent, would have that food tossed around them in a trough like pigs and would go for it? Because there are people who have power to reduce you to animalhood if they choose to. And that's just the mm mm,
7: mm. mm. And I guess that shows the importance that we should have of not only having a vegan diet or vegetable diet, but actually growing our own gardens and growing our own, having our own food sources.
6: Amen. And I don't mean to cause any interruptions with you with that word, but I'm saying I should.
7: (laughs) Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You're family though. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate you.
4: Let me raise this question with you, sister, sister before we um, go to our station break and start closing out this program. In the area of health, if you've been reading for the last 5, 6, of eighteen years, all of a sudden in the medical field when it comes to African people, we make up about 13% they claim of the population but they are nearly 80% on dialysis for those who own dialysis. And one of the conditions for having Africans on dialysis, they say is that, but they can't quite explain it, is that a lot of Africans, for some reason or another, is now coming up with this concept of what they are calling kidney disease, a kidney disease. I don't know if you know anything about what is this kidney disease and how do we go about dealing with this question of um, our body not being in the alkaline state. What is your response to that?
6: Yeah, okay. Um, how can we maintain more blood of blood. a
4: healthy, functioning kidney? For some reason, our kidney is being, being attacked and they are claiming that will lead to dialysis. But for some reason or another, mm-hmm. the kind of behavior and attitude where they describe the help cause the damage people's kidneys, kidneys, people kidneys, kidneys, kidneys. That kidney should apply more to other races, particularly more so than Africans. When you talk about large concentration of people drinking beer and doing other things, it seems like Europeans would Um, dominate that category of of kidney problems, more so the applicants. But what is just your general Mm -hmm. take on this phenomenon that's going on now?
6: You know, um, let me make my disclaimer. I am not a medical professional, and I don't claim to be in any way. Exactly. Um, From what I have gleaned as an attorney who has, let me be careful how I say this, to the confidentiality issues at play here. What I have gleaned is that chronic kidney disease is one of the biggest money makers for the medical industrial complex. Mm-hmm. What I am also claiming is that there has been litigation over the last several decades where many of the major hospitals have been accused of fraud by the federal government related to diagnosing chronic kidney disease. So I'm attacking your question where we say in the law, collaterally, meaning I'm not directly addressing your question from a medical standpoint, right? I'm attacking the procedure of your question. Allow me this this privilege for a second. No problem. I'm suggesting that the rate that you mentioned of, Prevalence of disease in the black community may not be based entirely on fact, but on economic drivers that enable an institution that operates under the medical industrial complex to receive a greater deal of pay when someone who has acute kidney disease is escalated up to someone with chronic kidney disease. Are you following me, King? Mm-hmm. I'm suggesting that many of the chronic diagnoses that the black community has been inundated with in statistics is not necessarily accurate, a reflection of true life. I'm suggesting that maybe when mm, grandma goes into the hospital and she has shown to be pre-diabetic, that within two weeks, she might get a call back to the hospital and been told that, actually, we've done some more testing, and you're actually type one or type two diabetes, and I want you to start this medication. Well, she goes into panic and she doesn't question. She doesn't get a second diagnosis. And even if she did, it would probably be consistent because she'd probably go to the same carriers that are already in her limited scope of doctors, not naturopathic, not healers, but people who are governed by this system of economic drivers. Okay? That some of these statistics are just downright lies. Because They are driven by economic advancements that require institutions to label someone with chronic kidney disease as opposed to acute kidney disease or not having any kidney disease at all. In fact, I'm assured of it, and I cannot tell you why. But what I will also say is that there is a triad that exists between the governance over black people, bodies, minds, and spirits, that involves governmental agencies, business institutions related to food, whether that's fast food or groceries, and the medical industrial complex. And this triad feeds off of each other, and what they do is run a farm. And many of the farm are today's unfortunate word we use ghettos. And what they've devised is a system of food deprivation in deserts that only provide cheap, accessible fast food. One of the things you must know is that whatever is available to black communities is available on purpose in abundance. So there is no Mm -hmm. coincidence that beauty supply stores are now the size of grocery stores. And grocery stores are now the size of what used to be nail salons. There's no coincidence that you can run into a a hair supply store in the black community that is almost the size of a Walmart. But the stores that used to be corner grocery stores that grandma can run to and get a little thing of lettuce and a little thing of butter and even a little bit of cheese Those are now the size of a small nail salon only offering canned goods, sodas, and a few non-perishable items like baking soda and dishwashing liquid. That is what the reverse has been, and that is the prevalence that we see in many black communities. In fact, there have been research that shows even wealthy black people have the reduced options for grocery stores almost at a ratio of one to eight, meaning that in certain white communities, there are eight times the number of grocery stores in a white neighborhood than there are in a black, hey, wealthy neighborhood. Hey, Queen,
4: what I'm going to have to do, unfortunately, and maybe we're to have to bring you back next week because that was a issue of issue we want to deal with you, but we run out of time. We only had like 30 seconds left. This show has been so dynamic. We would like to see if we can get you to come back next week to continue the discussion. We'd like to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh this is Africa Move every Sunday evening at seven PM. And um we see you next week and we thank everyone. This has been Africa on the move.